Welcome to True North Vineyard Podcast, where we share our Sunday gathering messages. True North is a vibrant church plant community located in Traverse City, Michigan area. We are centered in the Bible and follow the example of Jesus praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We hope that our Sunday gathering messages encourage you to lean into the word of God and compel you to take action. To connect with us, visit our website, vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. So we've been in a series for several weeks, kind of sporadically, because, um, but it's gone on forever. I didn't realize like we were going to have like eight installments of this one thing. I was like, oh, let's go ahead and do four passages. And no, we're on like, this is number five, and I still got three more. So we're in this idea called renewal. And so we've been in John, uh, Luke chapter six, where um, Jesus has taken his 12 disciples, and he's um, taken up on a mountain, and he's chosen these men to be his apostles. And this passage has kind of symbolized uh, the renewal contract of the covenant, that Jesus has come to renew the covenant with Israel. And the reason he chooses 12 men is because there were 12 tribes of Israel. And so we've been jumping back and forth with the history. Why is the story of Jesus fulfilling the history of, of Israel? So we started with Abraham, Exodus, then we talked about um, going into the land for a couple weeks, and now we're going to talk about the monarchy, the kings. So let's go ahead and jump back to our passages. Let's go to Luke chapter 6. We're going to go 12 through 19, and then I'm going to read from Isaiah, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. One day soon afterwards, Jesus went up onto a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be his apostles. Here are their names. Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, Judas Iscariot, who would later betray him. When they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area, surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. There were people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and as far north as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone uh, tried to touch him because healing power went out from him and he healed everyone. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. I'm going to go ahead and pray and we'll jump into the rest. Come Holy Spirit, would you just fill this message today with your presence? I just pray that you would just fill our ears with what you want us to hear and fill our hearts with what you want us to know. And I pray that you would bless me as I want to give give my best to the people in Jesus' name. So today we're talking about the theme of the king of Israel. So real quick question. 
Um, we see that uh, in, in a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Israel comes into the land and conquers Canaan. It drives out the evil Canaanites and pushes them out, and then they establish the land. So the 12 tribes go about. So trick question number one, um, and if you don't know the answer, don't worry about it. This is a trick question, but does anybody know who the king was supposed to be when Israel was established? So God himself was supposed to be the king, right? So he gives Israel the Torah. They're at Mount Sinai. He gives them the Ten Commandments. And through their 40-year journey, he gives them more instruction. And when they come into the land, they are to ally their heart. They're to pledge their allegiance to Yahweh. And as long as they would keep the commandments, they would be in the land. This was the promise. They would be in the land, and they would be prosperous. And the reason that God was to be king was because human kings are rather imperfect, right? We know from, his, from history that when people get power, they want to keep it. And so what they end up doing is they start accumulating a whole bunch of wealth to themselves. They want to press their agenda. They want to get their people to do the things that they want them to do. So God did not want Israel to have a human king. However, there was a stipulation in Deuteronomy 17 that says if the people were to get a king, it was supposed to be a king that was completely and radically different than the neighboring countries. This king was meant to be one who would not accumulate a ton of wealth to themselves. They were not supposed to get a ton of wives so that they can like have a harem. Um, they weren't supposed to uh, press military agendas. Rather, they were to serve the broken in their communities. They were to bring justice to the poor. They were supposed to uh, fight for God's agenda in the world. They were supposed to be theologian philosopher kings. They were to know the Torah, and they were to lead the people towards God's agenda and the mission of Israel, which was to reclaim the nations. The king of Israel was to be a counter king to the kings of the world. This, this story of God being king is kind of short-lived, though. So, as we were talking about, the people of Israel, they, as long as they lived under the law, they were going to be able to live in prosperity. But people are stupid, and they do dumb things. And so, what Israel ends up doing is they decide that they're going to turn their hearts to the gods of their neighbors. They turn to the Philistine gods or the Hittite gods or these other things. And what happens is the protection clause of the, government, of, the, of the covenant of God comes down, and they start getting invaded by their neighbors. Armies come in. Israelites are now subjected to oppressive governments. And then God brings a judge, fills that judge with the Spirit, goes and kicks them out. And the men and women lead a revival, and then kick out the invaders. And this happens all the time. This gets really nauseous. If you read the book of Judges, that's all this is. Every 40 years, you have a new judge and a new problem, and it's ridiculous. To the point where they're like, can you just give us a king? We're done. We don't like this anymore. Can you just tell us what to do? Give us a king, and he'll tell us what to do, and we'll just do whatever he says. And so they end up getting a king. Not going to venture down that path today. I'm not going to go through the line of kings. But what I do want to kind of focus in on is what is the importance of the king? That's what I really want to focus on today. 
So here's another question. I don't want to go down this, li- like this line of kings, but I do want to focus on a single king and why it matters. So real quick, if you know this answer, of all the kings of Israel, other than Jesus, who is the most important king? Who? David. David. Good, good. That's the right answer. David. But why is he the most important king? Like, what are the reasons that David is important to the narrative? What about David is important for us to know? God chooses a little young boy to shepherd his people. That's awesome. Good stuff. Anybody else? What else about David is important? What's like the big one that we celebrate every Super Bowl? Like the David and Goliath kind of scenario. That might have been a little obscure. My bad. (laughs) Sorry, we had the David and Goliath story. Not every Super Bowl is a David and Goliath. My bad. Bad sports analogy. Whatever. Moving on. We have David and Goliath. David's important to the narrative because he's a man after God's heart. He is a warrior. He's a worshiper. He's a theologian. All the qualities of Deuteronomy 17, including God's appointment of him, he meets. He's the one who pursues God. There's this beautiful story in 2 Samuel 7 where David has now been crowned king and he's walking about his palace. And as he's walking about his palace, he looks out a window and he sees this tent. That's the tabernacle. And he says, why do I get to live in luxury when God lives in a tent? Why do I get to live in this beautiful place that God's provided for me and God lives out there? So he goes to his prophet and he says, Nathan, I want to build God a temple. I want to build him a house. I want to I give him something grand. Can I do that? And Nathan says, yeah, go do it. And they go to bed and Nathan has a dream and God says, hey, wait a second. That David's heart is correct here, but David is not the right guy to build the temple. David has the most beautiful heart, but I have that plan for his son to build. But you go and tell him, I love the fact that you, you want to build me a home. Instead, I'm going to build you a home. I'm going to build you a house. And from you, David, will be the rest of the kings. All of the kings will be from your children. Your, your, your dynasty will reign forever. That's important when we come to Jesus. That's important when we read those really boring genealogies in Matthew 1 and Luke chapter 3, when we're like, why is this here? Because Jesus comes from the line of David. That's the whole point of those genealogies, is to show that he comes from David's line, that he is the true-born heir, that Jesus is both a like, literal heir, but he's also the metaphorical heir. He is the one, like Deuteronomy 17, he's fulfilling that role of king to bring justice, to bring peace, to bring God's agenda. Jesus is David's son in all of those ways. What happens after David's lineage, however, 
we see a lot of things just kind of fall apart. We have Solomon's reign, who is David's son, and that reign is good for the first half. And then he falls pretty hard. And after that, we see the kingdom split in half. There's a civil war that happens, and 10 of the tribes go north, and two of the tribes stay south. And the northern tribes, they don't stay within David's lineage. They have a different king, different dynasty altogether. And there's no good kings there. They all suck. They're all evil. They all do really bad things. And then you have the southern kingdom, who is from David's line, and they sometimes do good. You have some good kings interspersed. The point of that, though, is that no one ever meets what David was. They never look like David. And so when the prophets are looking at this future kingdom, because everything's going to hell in a handbasket, but God is saying, hey, I'm going to renew this thing. I'm going to bring it about. It might not look like it's possible now with a split kingdom. It might not look possible now when Babylon comes in and conquers you. But I promise that there is a kingdom coming, and that king is going to look like David. That king is going to be this awesome, amazing king, and he's going to look like David looked. Let's go back to Isaiah 9, which I had brought up in my first, when I read first. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 says this. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, catch this, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. Now catch this as well. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Now remember what I said earlier. Who is the initial king of Israel? God, Yahweh. Who did God install as king? David. So in this passage, we have this boy who would be both mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, of the ancestry of David. You have God coming into human form and living in David's lineage. God would do both what he promised. He would, one, become the king of Israel, and he would both fulfill the Davidic reign, that David would reign forever. Right? Big deal. Big theological deal. Not my main point, but good theological deal. The point of this is that this king would bring about world peace. This king's kingdom, his government, would pour out from this little tiny broken country, this little tiny nothing, this mustard seed of a nation, and it would become the largest tree in the garden. It'd become that stone, that little pebble that smashes into the statue and crumbles it, but it turns into a mountain that then encompasses the whole world. The kingdom of God starts as nothing, but then grows to something grand. This person comes onto the scene and he eradicates evil. That's the point of the king. He comes and he's now initiating the overthrow of Satan's kingdom. As I was talking about, bad kings, they parallel another king. Bad kings parallel Satan. 
Satan rules as a tyrannical person. He wants to break you. He wants to keep you bound. He wants to keep you subject to sin. He wants to keep you subject to the broken conditions of the world. But this good king has come to annihilate that order. He's come to remove that condition. The kingdom of God would be a spearhead by this king who would fulfill Israel's commission to reclaim the nations. This would only be done by eradicating the evil that had plunged humanity into darkness. So that king would have to defeat what? What is the one thing that has kept us all broken? What was that? Sin. Jesus had to come and defeat sin. So let's fast forward. Let's go back to Luke 6. Thousands of years have gone by. Israel's failed a thousand times. Israel is kind of in the land, kind of dispersed among the nations. No one is optimistic. And Jesus comes on the scene and takes these disciples up a mountain. He's been healing the sick. He's been casting out demons. He's been focused on loving people. And everyone looks and says, there's, an, there's a prophet in the land. Could this be the Messiah? And he takes him up on this mountain, chooses 12 of them. And when he comes down off this mountain, that's right. He is now saying he is the king. Here are my 12 tribes. I am David. He comes off and the first thing he does is he eradicates evil. He heals the sick. He casts out demons. Everyone flocks to him and says, can we just touch him? Because if we can touch him, we'll be healed. This is why we believe in healing. This is the reason we believe that God wants to heal people is because sickness, disease, torment, which is mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual conditions that are against you are a part of the world condition of brokenness. And because Jesus has come to eradicate the broken condition, we believe that he heals today. We believe that he sets us free from depression, anxiety, mental disorders, emotional disorders, physical conditions, because this is his eradication of that brokenness. He also is at war against these spiritual entities that are causing us torment, that are binding us to bad habits, that are creating for us evil desires. And he's come to overthrow those because this kingdom's at war with that kingdom. This good benevolent king has come to eradicate the evil king. That's why it's important that we understand that Jesus is the only way that we have a good king. This is important. The only way this works the only way that we have a real good kingdom of God is if Jesus is king, that we have an everlasting benevolent king. We can't rely on just a human that has a broken condition. We have one who sits at the right hand of the Father and, arb and, and arbitrates and orchestrates the healing of humanity. Jesus would go on from this point. And he comes off of this mountain and he teaches us that we are to love the poor. We are to love the marginalized. We're to serve through humility, like, Dave, like Zach said last week. Zach spoke on having the mind of Christ, that we are to love people, we are to serve people, we are to emulate Christ in every way, and we are to do that both in a supernatural way and a natural way. The kingdom of God is both something of power and it's also something of mundane that we serve God in a dynamic way, that we serve through our hands, our language, 
our actions, and we also serve by praying and asking the Lord to intervene. The kingdom of God comes and it breaks off darkness, no matter if it's through a physical healing, an emotional healing, or if it's through you serving someone a sandwich, or if it's you going and meeting the needs of someone who is depressed and you're counseling them through things. You're giving them good advice. You're walking people through pain and trauma. You're walking in and you're noticing the hurt and the condition of people. We serve a king who is devoted to seeing people changed and transformed and set free. One also want to say this is it starts with us. He sets us free first. And we have a responsibility to rid ourselves of evil because we're meant to perpetuate peace out there. The only way that this kingdom works is if we take our king seriously. This kingdom is not a democracy. You don't have a say. We live in the United States of America where our upbringing is we've lived in a democratic republic where we choose our leaders through voting. We think we have this over-realized thing that our opinion matters in everything that we do. We get on TikTok and everybody wants to have their opinion. Your opinion means nothing. The only thing that matters is that we subject ourselves to the scripture. We subject ourselves to the spirit. We subject our lives to him. We are subjects. We are not co-equals. We are co-heirs, but we are not co-equals. We go and we work with him and we partner with him, but it's by his leading and his kingship. We don't have equal say in this kingdom. We have to understand that because as Americans, that's our hardest thing. We have, we have a subroutine of rebellion. And that has to get rid of before we can actually be a kingdom that is actually for the benevolence of the world. God has called us to reach a society that is broken. And the only way we do that is by recognizing that there is evil that is still in us. We repent of that evil. We remove that stain in our life by submitting it to Jesus. And he comes in and he takes that cancer out and he heals us. And then we subject that to him every day. I'm not going to say this is easy. So let me just kind of pull back from my little, you know, my speech for a moment. There are many of us that are still struggling day to day with a thousand billion things. It's not that we are not tempted. And it's not that when you just give it up one day that you're not going to be tempted tomorrow. You will be. This journey is a journey of submitting your heart to the Lord. This is a journey of, I'm still human. I'm still broken. We are in an already not yet kingdom. The kingdom to come is fully without sin and brokenness. When Jesus finally arrives back and he conquers all this wicked condition, then you will not have a sin nature. Then you will not struggle with what you struggle with. But until then, he is sitting at the right hand of the Father and he is ruling and arbitrating and orchestrating the healing of the world. And we are called to submit to him and to not give in to the temptations that the enemy wants you to give, what doesn't want you to have. The enemy is trying to get you to fall because if you fall, you're not effective. 
If you fall, you can't eradicate evil. You will be stuck in a place of shame and guilt, and you won't be able to walk out and do. Holiness is not something that we just like, we need to look right and keep up with the Joneses, and it needs to look a certain way. Like, you have to have your dress to a certain thing. You, you can't wear makeup. You have, you have to do all of these things. That's legalism. Holiness is a heart that's submitted to the Lord and wants to do right by him. And we do right by him in a love relationship because we want his presence and we want to fulfill his mission. It is not that we just want to do the right things to get to heaven. It's two different things. Back to my sermon. (laughs) In conclusion, Jesus is the perfect king. We are not following an imperfect human who, does, uh, who wants to seek his own power. We're seeking someone and we serve the God-man who is conquering evil. We serve the man. We serve the God who came down as man. He is both Yahweh, the king of Israel, and he's of the lineage of David, the king of Israel. He is conquering the broken conditions of the world. It is impossible for this world to be free unless we realize that truth. Lastly, we enter into this, we enter into this story by submitting our lives to this benevolent ruler and joining in his mission to eradicate evil. First in ourselves, then through the making of disciples, through submitting our lives to Jesus. Let's go ahead and stand. I'm going to pray for you and we'll switch on to the next portion of our night. You just do this. Put your hands out in front of you for a second. Just close your eyes. I'm just going to bless you. And if you feel at all like this is a convicting message or you feel like you want to respond to the Lord, I ask that you would internally respond to him and I ask if you want to take this further to go in your groups and be vulnerable, if this is something that you need or if there is something that the Lord is speaking to you. But I'm going to bless you. So come Holy Spirit. Jesus, we recognize that you're king. And we thank you for your rulership. We thank you that you are a benevolent king who loves us and has set us free. And I pray tonight that you would set us free in a further way. That tonight you break down any temptations or any sin that's been perpetuating willfully in our lives. And God, I pray a blessing over people tonight that you would break off any hindrance that's, being, um, that's controlling them by any evil spirit. I just command that to go in Jesus' name. And I pray a blessing over them that your spirit would be upon them and fill them with peace and power, that they would experience your joy and your peace and your power today and in the weeks to come. I ask that you would do all of this in your name. In Jesus' name, I bless you. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the True North Vineyard Podcast. We hope that you are blessed by this message. To connect with us, be sure to visit our website, vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. We hope to see you soon.